Now, Lord, add the blessing to the preaching of Your Word. And everyone shouted a great big Amen. This morning, I want to preach the thought, bent out of shape. Bent out of shape. Can you say that with me this morning? Bent. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse number 10. Luke chapter 13, and beginning with verse number 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, was bent over and could no way lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. Or another translation says sickness. You laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, There are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered and said, Hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox and his donkey from the stall and lead him away to watering? Not not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan hath bound. Think of it. For 18 years be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. And when he had said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that was done by him. Everybody say, bent out of shape. You know, as you get older in life, you quickly find that you have some aches and pains that's unpredictable. So the other day, I... Knelt down, and I couldn't hardly get back up because I had a, a pain shoot across my knees. And I was like, Lord, I bonded in Jesus' name because i got to get married, you know? And so I'm thinking, is it old? Am I getting old? Am I getting these pains? Or, or is, you know, and then you can't Google anything. Because if you Google something, you are, you're dying. You know, you're absolutely, how many have ever Googled something and when you Googled it, you were more depressed than before you Googled it? Of course. So, life lesson number one, everybody say this, life lesson number one, you can't believe everything on the internet. I know that's a revelation for some of you, but you cannot believe everything on the internet. And you can't believe every article you read on Facebook either. Do I have about 10 people that can stand up and say, Pastor, you preach so good right now, I could just, we can just go home right now. That was, a, that was truth. Can't believe everything. <laughs> you can't believe everything on the internet, and you certainly can't Google everything. There was one writer years ago who was struggling with his old age, and he said this, life can be hard. Life can be unpredictable. Life is about spills, drills, thrills. Bills, ills, pills, and then a will. <laughs> you know, sometimes life is like that. There was another article written years ago about a man who was also depressed about his age. He didn't want to get older. He refused to get older. You know, he was trying to find the fountain of youth. He could never find it. So he started doing things to maybe, you know, Get younger, you know. And so 
towards the end of his life, he did some research because he was so perplexed about getting older and why people got older. And it was kind of a depressing subject for him. And this is what he found. He says, if you have a room with a window, that could add two years to your life. He said, if you live with clutter, if you're a hoarder, that probably will subtract one year from your life. He says, if you have a pet, that could probably add one, two years to your life. Being a female alone adds ten years to your life. All the women should have said, Amen there. Ten years just by being a female. Having a good marriage can add seven years, but having a bad marriage can subtract three years. Being happy adds nine years. Having low self-esteem can subtract four years from your life. Insufficient sleep can subtract five years. And then having faith, he said, can add seven years to your life. Now, I don't know if all those are true, but it's worth paying attention to. Because I believe that whatever you do in life can really add to your life and it can really subtract from your life. Now, whether that's true or whether his research was really founded on factual information, I'm not here to judge that. But I do know that what we do in life can affect how we live in life. And what decisions that we make in life can really affect our life. The way we think about certain things will affect our life. The decisions that we make, the people that we're around, the people that we marry, everything that we do really does have an effect on our life. And sometimes, my friends, all of us can get bent out of shape in life. You know why? Because life doesn't always go the way that we're, it's planned to go. Life is unpredictable sometimes. And sometimes life can be very hard sometimes. Is there anybody in the building that can agree with me and say, I agree with you, Pastor. Life can be hard and life can be unpredictable. But I'm reminded of something that if you read the Scriptures very closely, you will find men and women just like us who had a lot of pitfalls. They had a lot of insecurities. They had a lot of things going on in their life that it looked like they would never succeed. But if you read the Bible closely, you will discover one thing. The Bible is filled with men and women who overcame things. It's about men and women who overcame great obstacles. You throw them in the lion's den and somehow they overcome. You know, you throw people in the, uh, the, the fiery furnace and, and they walk out of the fiery furnace. You throw them in Egypt and they walk out of Egypt. You throw them in the grave and three days later he gets up, walks out of the grave and sings, there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Because the Bible is filled with men and women who overcome things day after day. So I have come with a word of encouragement to you today. And that is this, that no matter what you are facing, no matter what you are dealing with, by the Spirit of God this morning, I want to tell you, you are an overcomer. Because greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world. Your pitfalls has nothing to do with your potential. Your insecurities has nothing to do with your potential. 
Great men and women of God have had great things happen to them, but they have overcome in the end. And I'm reminded of this story this morning of this woman who was bent out of shape. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us Luke, here in Luke chapter 13, gives us a narrative, a story, how this woman was so sick, how she was so bent out of shape, the Bible says that she was bent over, and the Scripture tells us that she couldn't even lift herself up. She couldn't even lift herself up. I mean, my friends, that's how you know you're bent out of shape. When you, don't eat, when you can't even pay attention to what's happening around you, you know? That's how you know you're bent out of shape. And that's how life is. Sometimes we get so bent out of shape in life, we don't know what's happening around us. Oh yeah, that's on the news? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it's the first time I... Our minds are so distracted. Our spirit is so troubled that we don't even pay attention to our surroundings. We're not even paying attention to what's going on in the world because our mind and our heart is so troubled and so distracted by what's happening within us, we can't see or pay attention to what's going on around us. It's like preaching in church sometimes. You're a great church, but I'm using this as an example because I have 21 years of ministry. And I've noticed sometimes, not all the time, especially not today, but sometimes I've noticed that people are very distracted in church. Their minds is a million miles away. Your body tells me what your mind is doing. And sometimes that's okay. You know, we're all here. Thank God we're here this morning. Thank God you're at the right place at the right time, even though you are distracted. Because this woman was distracted. This woman had a spirit of infirmity. This woman was bent out of shape. This woman couldn't pay attention to anything around her, but she was at the right place at the right time, and she still got a miracle. So, so that tells me, that tells me that sometimes my mind can be distracted. Sometimes my spirit can be troubled. Sometimes it's a miracle, Pastor. I even made it to church. But can I tell you something? I'm glad you're here. Because that woman, even though she was bent out of shape, and even though she couldn't pay attention to the surroundings around her, she still got a miracle because she was at the right place at the right time with the Master. And I'm telling you today, in spite of all your insecurities, in spite of all your distractions, in spite of what's going on in the inside of you, I want to let you know today, I'm glad you're here, and the Lord's glad you're here, and you're at the right place at the right time to receive some of the greatest miracles you've ever received. The Bible says she was bent over to the fact that she couldn't even lift up herself, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? In Luke chapter number 13, look at it. Luke number 13, chapter 13, and the Bible says in verse number 11, that behold, there was this woman who had a sickness. Now, I just want you to see the Scripture. It's going to be left up there for a few moments. And I want you to see a few things about the Scripture. The Bible says that this woman was so sick, she was so bent out of shape, that she had this condition for 18 long years, and she was bent over, she couldn't even lift herself up. But the Bible gives us an indication about this woman. The Bible says in verse 16, 
that Jesus said, this woman is a daughter of Abraham that Satan has bound up. So, I want you to see in verse 16 that this woman, now let's just make it applicable to us. Let's just say this woman is a Christian, all right? She has a covenant with God. Now, in the Old Testament, there's no such thing as being a Christian, but let's just break it down to our level. This woman is a believer in God. She has a covenant with God that Satan has bound. And the Bible says not only does she have a covenant with God, but the Bible says in verse number 10 that she was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So, she is attending a place of worship on a particular day. She's a, in our terms, she's a Christian who is sick, who is attending church on a Sunday morning. Alright? You see what I'm saying here? In our, in our, our terminology. Back then, she's a Jew. She has a covenant with God. She's a daughter of Abraham. She's going to a place of worship or a place of instruction. And here she is at a certain place on a certain day and she comes in sick. Now, I know that doesn't mean a lot to most of you this morning, but there is a spiritual principle in everything I just said to you. Sometimes we've got to come to church or we've got to come to the house of God in spite of how we feel. Did you, did you see that this morning? Here is a woman who has been over. Here is a woman who is sick. And here is a woman who goes to a place of worship on a particular day to honor God. And sometimes, my friends, you and I have to make a decision that we've got to go to church or go to the house of God in spite of how we feel. Sometimes we've got to go through a duration or a period of stress where we worship God up under stress. This woman came to church, in other words, worshiping God with a condition. In other words, she came to a house of worship and she persevered in spite of how she felt. I mean, she couldn't even lift up to see who's preaching, you know? She didn't know if Willie was preaching or Bobby was, she didn't know who was preaching. She didn't know if pastor was preaching. She didn't know if sister so-and-so was preaching. She, she had no idea who was preaching. She just showed up because she couldn't even pay attention. She couldn't even lift herself up. The Bible says that she came to a house of worship. Can you just imagine this woman? Can you just imagine this woman coming into the house of God and she can't even look up and she's been over and she comes into a place of worship and the Bible says she has... She has had this condition for 18 years. I mean, this woman came to a public place with a condition. I can just see this woman coming into the synagogue. I could just, she's a daughter of Abraham. She knows who God is. She has a relationship with the Lord. Here she comes into the house of God and she's mumbling under her breath, in spite of my affliction, in spite of my suffering, in spite of my condition, I know that I'm handicapped. I know that I'm disfigured. I know that I'm bent over. I know I can't even look up to see who's preaching. But in spite of all of that, 
I am going to testify that you are still God. You are still Jehovah Jireh. You are still my healer. You are still the Son of God. You are still worthy of my praise. In spite of my condition, you are still worthy of all my praise. And sometimes spiritual maturity happens when you make a decision opposite of your feelings. Spiritual maturity happens when you make a decision opposite of how you feel. She made a decision. I don't feel like going to the synagogue today. I don't feel like worshiping today. But she made a decision in spite of how she felt. And my friends, that is a spiritual maturity. That, that is spiritual maturity. Especially, and I'm inferring on the text here, especially her being faithful to God for 18 long years and still going to a house of worship and seeing no change. Do you see yourself in that? Boy, pastor, I've went to church all these years. Pastor, I have tithed. Pastor, I have prayed. Pastor, I believe God. I've done it year after year and month after month and I see no results. This woman in the Scriptures can sympathize with you. She went to a house of worship for 18 years. She was sick for 18 years. She was bent over for 18 years and she saw no results. But that didn't stop her from praying. That didn't stop her from being consistent to the house of God. That didn't stop her from being consistent in her disciplines. That's what you call spiritual maturity. When you have the conviction and when you have the perseverance that you can stand in the midst of drought and declare the Word of God in spite of what you see, that's spiritual growth. Hallelujah. And we live in a generation. We live in a generation of fickle Christians wishy-washy Christians who get the victory and they're depressed on Monday morning. And they're ready to quit on Friday. And you don't see them for about another month. Wishy-washy, up and down, up and down, in and out. Thank God you come when you do come. But I don't want you just to come when you do come. I want you to progress in sanctification and holiness and spiritual maturity and spiritual disciplines. Spiritual maturity is the ability to resist how you feel and stand with conviction and perseverance in spite of all of that and declare your faith in what you know instead of how you feel. That is spiritual maturity. This woman came for 18 years. Didn't see anything. Jonah, she came for 18 years and sang the same songs, went to the same synagogue, saw nothing. And every time I read this Scripture, I get encouraged. Because I've only been here 11 years. I haven't been here 18 years. So I just want to let y'all know, everything may seem like it's going the way it's always went, but you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know all the praying that's going on. 
You don't know all. Come on, somebody. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's stirring in the atmosphere. So I'm just going to prophesy to all of you. Just like the woman was at the right place at the right time, received a miracle after 18 years, one of these Sunday mornings you're going to come to church and it's going to be the greatest greatest move of God that you have ever experienced in your life. We're going to have to hire a police officer to direct the traffic in front of this church. We're going to have to direct the traffic on Sunday morning to get out of this parking lot because I'm telling you what God has decreed, God said it will come to pass. He's not a man that should lie, nor the son of man that should repent. Hallelujah. So after 18 years, Jesus walked in the building. And I'm convinced that maybe we don't see the things we ought to see in church because we're having church without Jesus. Because the moment Jesus showed up to church, the moment that Jesus showed up to the synagogue is the moment the woman got healed. Oh, I'm about to shout up in here, up in here, up in here. Are y'all ready for this? You know what? You know what Jesus said? Jesus comes into the synagogue. Verse 12. And when Jesus saw her, he said, Woman, you are loosed. And the Bible says in verse number 13. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. So that tells me that maybe they were having church without Jesus for 18 years. Because when Jesus shows up in the synagogue, the woman gets healed. Could it be, could it be, let's just explore this. Could it be that there are some churches who are having church without Jesus. Thousands of people are going to church and they're leaving the same way that they came. Because I'm convinced, not all churches, but I'm convinced that it could be because there's no power in our services. There's no power in our sermons. No power in our shout. No power in our dance because the American church has taught us how to dance and shout without our mascara smearing and has taught us how to dance to the right beat and have the right music and do the right things. All of that's good and fine in its place. But there's nothing that will substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. And the moment Jesus shows up in the church is the moment the woman got healed. For 18 years, the woman came to the synagogue and nobody challenged the Spirit's right. Nobody challenged the Spirit's right to operate in the woman's life. For 18 years she came to the synagogue, and for 18 years she went home the same way that she came. That spirit of infirmity came to church on her back like a monkey sitting on the shoulder of a street comedian. Week after week, she came sick and she left sick. Week after week, she came bound and she left bound. But one day, 
everything changed. One day, her tears met with her shouting. One day, her sickness met the master. One day, everything changed. And my friends, I want to let you know that you are living in one of the greatest times ever known to history. Because we are living in a day and age where the Bible says men will wax worse and worse and worse. The Bible says that people will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. But that is not a reason for us to be discouraged. That's not a reason for us to give up. That is a reason, according to Jesus, is to look up for our redemption is drawing nigh. And the Bible says in the book of Joel, chapter number 2, that before the great day of the Lord, the Lord is going to send His Spirit upon every flesh. He's going to send His Spirit upon the maidservants. He's going to send His Spirit upon all flesh. I don't know about you, but we are living in that exact period and dispensation where the Holy Spirit is getting ready to send forth a revival and Christ point is going to be an oasis of His power, oasis of His anointing, oasis of the glory of God. Hallelujah! For 18 years, nobody rebuked the Spirit off of the woman. And any time the Spirit goes unchallenged in your life, Anytime demonic spirits go un, goes unchallenged in your life, the spirit, the demonic spirit, if you don't challenge the thing and don't rebuke the thing, it will move in your house, sit on your recliner and eat your Cheetos. But somebody needs to get mad at the devil and say, no, 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 you ain't moving my house. If I got to get up and run around this building and take my Bible and hit you between the eyes. Devil, you ain't staying in my house any longer. You are not going to stay here. You're not going to stay here. Some of us have to get a little bit of passive and aggressive. I know that's not your nature, but you can't fool around with the devil. You can't sit down with the devil and say, Mr. Devil, do you think you can give my kids back to me? It's not how it works. You can't negotiate with the devil. And some of you don't even think the devil exists. But the devil is more alive than you think he is. And he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. But some of you got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it lives on the inside of you. It quickens your mortal body. I refuse to dread the devil any longer when I'm called to tread the devil. And this woman went to church. She left the same way she came. That's the crisis of the situation. The crisis of the situation is that she went to a place of worship and she left the same way she came. She went to a place of worship that was impotent to deliver her. And thousands of people go to church week after week and they still leave depressed, bound, struggling with porn, struggling in their marriage, looking for hope. I don't care what you struggle with. I don't care what it is. I want you to come to church. I don't care what it is. I want you here. If you're divorced, you're welcome to come here. If you're struggling, 
with porn, I want you to come here. Because the Word of God is a hammer. And if you come every week, it's going to start hammering some stuff out of your life. Do you think by staying home is going to help you? It ain't going to help you, baby. When you come to the church house and you hear the Word of God being preached and you get an atmosphere of worship, whatever has you bound, I'm telling you, it may not come off today, but you still be consistent. Someday, somehow, it's going to break off of your life. It's going to break off. That's why I want you to come. I don't care if you got to come five times and cry. I want you to come and cry. I don't care if you're depressed. Just come. Keep coming. Because I know that eventually the Word works if you work it. So keep coming. That's the crisis of it. And there's a crisis today. There's a crisis today. Anytime we come to church and we don't speak against stinking thinking, it's a crisis. It's a crisis when we can't talk to each other across the aisle of the church. That's a crisis. It's a crisis that we don't challenge somebody's negative thinking and grumbling spirit. It's a crisis. It's a crisis that any time church folk can jump and shout and dance and speak with tongues and not get along with each other, that is a crisis. And that's why Jesus came to the church house. Jesus walked into the church house and said, Woman, be loosed from the spirit of infirmity. It's interesting that Jesus called it for what it was. He called it a spirit. Well, you know, Pastor, that's just how... That's just how Susie acts. She's just, she's just mad all the time. No, it's a spirit. Just, you ever have to pacify people and walk around them because you don't want to cause no drama? You shouldn't have to be that way. You shouldn't have to be that way. It's a spirit. It's demonic activity. And this woman was in a crisis for 18 years. Now, you know, if you have a crisis for a few days, it's, I can get over that. Maybe a few months, that's fine. 18 years. Long time to be faithful. 18 years is a long time to keep tithing and you see nothing. 18 years is a long time to come to church and see nothing and feel nothing. and Nothing's changed. This woman is a testimony to all of us that her faith wasn't built upon what she felt. Her faith was built upon a commitment in spite of how she felt. Her consistency and her character wasn't built upon whether she got healed or not. Her Character and consistency wasn't built upon, Lord, if you heal me, I'll be faithful to church. No. Her character and her consistency of her spirit was, Lord, I have a covenant with you. You're God. I'm not. You know what the future holds. I do not. I trust you. And my faith is not built upon my healing. And that's how the modern church is. People will be faithful to church because they got a court date on Monday morning. 
And they'll come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's amazing. And if it's really bad, they'll show up Wednesday. Or if you're dying of cancer, we'll show up to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And all the revival will show up. If our marriage is falling apart, we'll show up Sunday morning, Sunday night, come to another class on Monday, come to another class on Tuesday, come to revival meetings, we'll come to Wednesday night prayer meetings. But when we get the answer, when our life is falling apart, we have a tendency to be faithful. Not with this woman. This woman's character, her consistency, wasn't based upon any of that. Lord, if you do it, that's fine. If you don't, that's all right. I'm going to be faithful in spite of all that. In spite of all of that, I'm going to be faithful. It's kind of like David. David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What? I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What? Psalms 23. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's going through a hard time. But in spite of his hard time, he makes a declaration that I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord whether I'm in or whether I'm out. Whether I feel like it or whether I don't. I'm consistent. That's the crisis. But then you have the critics. Oh, the woman got healed, didn't she? Jesus said, woman, you are loosed from that spirit. And the, the moment He said that, that woman gets up and she becomes straight. And it's interesting to me that the Bible tells me that the religious leaders got an attitude. What did the religious leaders do? The religious leaders made a re excuse. Lord, Jesus, you shouldn't have healed this woman on the Sabbath day. There's another day for you to do this good deed, but don't do it on the Sabbath day. You need to follow our rules and our customs. But these critics wasn't really happy for the woman. The, the critics should rejoice because the woman had been sick for 18 years. How many would agree with pastor? That's a reason to rejoice after 18 years and then getting your healing. But you see, the critics, they wasn't rejoicing over it. They wasn't rejoicing. They became critical. And Jesus rebuked them. Jesus said, well, hold on here. On the Sabbath day, you'll go loose your animals to water them and feed them. That's work. And you're telling me that I healed a woman on the Sabbath and somehow this is not important? The religious crowd tried to de-emphasize her healing. You see, it's interesting to me that the moment, I want to read this to you. I want you to pay attention to what happens here. The Bible says in verse 13, no, look at verse 14. This is the critics. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Do you see that? Everybody say, I see it. Everybody say, I see it. Now look at verse 15. Then the Lord answered him and said, Huh, 
Now, let, let, let me go back and say this again. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Verse 15, and the Lord answered. I'll say that again. You ready for it? The ruler of the, of the synagogue answered with indignation. Verse 15, the Lord answered. That tells me that the woman didn't have to defend herself. The Lord defended the woman in the presence of everyone else. You see, sometimes we think that when we get blessed and the Lord comes through for us, how many knows the Lord can come through for you even when you're unfaithful? And when the Lord comes through for you, not everybody's going to rejoice for you. But nowhere did this woman defend herself. Nowhere. She didn't defend herself. And one of the qualities of spiritual maturity is not only being faithful and consistent in spite of how I feel, but it's the ability to sh our mouths. It's the ability to keep our mouth quiet. Our nature is to defend ourselves when we feel like we've been wronged. But the woman never defended herself. I want you to see the last part of this. You see the crisis of it. You see the critics. Lastly, you see the Christ. It was Jesus that brought the healing. It was nothing that the woman could do. Remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon? We're all bent out of shape. Remember I said at the beginning of the sermon, we're all bent out of shape. We all have issues, including myself. We're all bent out of shape. And sometimes we don't even know what's going on in our life because we're so bent out of shape. But I still want you to come. Because in this story, it demonstrates to us that Jesus is the miracle worker. And in spite of the woman's condition, in spite of what was going on in the woman's life, and even in spite of what was going on in the critics, it was Jesus that healed the woman. And sometimes we need to change our focus. Listen, change our focus off of our crisis. Change our focus off of the critics. And let's put our eyes back on Jesus. Let's switch our eyes from the critics. Move our eyes away from the, the crisis. And let's move our eyes back on Jesus. You see, as I was reading this, I never saw this before. It's interesting to me that when you read the Bible, you, you really do see things that you never saw before. Like, I've read this scripture hundreds of times before. And as I was reading this scripture, something popped out at me. It's kind of like it slapped me in my face. And I'm like, why didn't I see that before? I cannot believe I didn't see that before. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is the climax of the story. You have the woman who the Bible says in verse number 13, the Bible says verse number 13, that the woman glorified God. Okay? She glorified God. And then you go down on the Scripture here, and then you see verse number 14, these critics answering with indignation. In other words, they're grumbling about what's happening in the synagogue. 
you have two different types of people here. You have a person who is glorifying God and you have a person who is grumbling. You have the critics who are grumbling and you have a woman who is glorifying. And you see, that's kind of like us in our life. When we get bent out of shape, you have to make a decision. When life is not going the way you think it should, you have a decision to make. Am I going to glorify God with my life in this situation or am I going to be a grumbler in this situation? And you know what the woman did? The woman glorified God before she was even healed. She glorified God by being consistent in spite of how she felt. And that is why it was not a problem for her to glorify God after she got healed because she was already doing it. It was a part of her life. Are we glorifying? Or are we a grumbler? The children of Israel missed the promised land because of their grumbling. The children of Israel missed it because of their what? Murmuring, they're grumbling, and they're complaining. Listen, if you can't do it here, you won't do it there. If you can't learn to glorify God here, don't think that the grass is always greener on the other side. It doesn't work that way. Because everything is designed for your spiritual growth. And God says, I got you where I want you and I'm trying to grow you. Either you're going to glorify me with everything and everything I put in your life and you're going to glorify me in spite of your condition or you're going to grumble about it. Now, I got a few moments. I want to close with this thought. It was Christ who did the miracle. It was Christ that did the miracle. And sometimes we, when we get bent out of shape, we try to work our own miracles, don't we? We try to do something because we get impatient. We try to do it ourselves. We try to build things. We try to do the miracle. We try to work up a miracle because it's not, it's not going as fast as we think we should. We're bent out of shape and we're miserable. That sometimes you've got to learn how to do ministry while you're miserable. David became a captain over those who were depressed and despondent in the cave. There was 400 men in the cave. In the Old Testament, David was running from Saul and he had 400 men in a cave. They were all depressed, despondent, and in debt. And the Bible says that David became a captain over them in the cave. That's the issue. God is saying sometimes you will feel like you're in the cave. Sometimes you'll feel like you're bent out of shape. But if you will glorify me in the midst of all of it, I will make you a captain in the middle of the cave. I will promote you to leadership in the middle of the cave. But some of us, some of us is waiting to get out of the cave for God to promote us. And God says, listen, if I can't promote you in the cave, I'll never promote you outside of the cave. It's interesting to me. Look at this. Look at this. Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. When we try to do it and get impatient because we're bent out of shape, this is what happens. This, this is the two, this is a 
this is a paradox. Look at Genesis chapter 11, verse 3. Look, look at him. What did they say? Come, let us make bricks, bake them. They had, they're getting ready to build the Tower of Babel. And they're saying, come, let us, let us make the bricks, let's make the tower, let's make what we need to make. Right? Verse number 4, look at what else they said. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. At least we'd be scattered abroad. Now, do you see, do you see what's happening here? Verse number 3, Genesis 11, verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks. Verse number 4, come, let us build ourselves a city. Let's build ourselves a tower. Let us make a, man for our, let's, let us make a name for ourselves. Now, you see a drastic change in chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1 and verse 2. Genesis 12, verse 2. This is God speaking to Abram. And this is what God says. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 2. So you see, Genesis chapter 1, they're used, come let us. Let's do this for ourselves. Let us do it. Let us make the bricks. Let us make the, let us make the tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. But now you have a total chapter change here. Chapter number 12, verse number 2. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. That's kind of different from chapter 1 where they said they're going to make their own name great. And I and you will be a blessing. Verse number, verse number uh, 3. And I will bless those who bless you. So do you see here? Chapter 11, verse 3. They said to one another, but chapter 12, God said. It was God that did it. Chapter 11, they said to each other. But chapter 12, God said to Abram. Chapter 11, come let us make the bricks and bake them. But chapter 12, God says, I will make you. Chapter 11, come let us build us a city. But chapter 12, I will make you a great nation. Chapter 11, let us make a name for ourselves. But chapter 12, I will make your name great. So you know what God is saying to us? Sometimes you can exhaust everything you have in life and it still don't work. And the Lord is saying to this church today, He is saying to you personally, let Him make your name great. Let Him do it. Let Him do it. Be patient and let God work it out. And when God works it out, the things that are bent in your life will become straight. And if you try to straighten the things in your life yourself, it will go back to being bent. But if you let God do it, He can straighten the things out in your life that will have a permanent direction of praise. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Did you enjoy the word of the Lord today?